0: We are uh, beginning a series that's going to take us up to Easter, and this is the first installment. We decided to call this series Brought to Life, not only because series, uh, Easter is obviously a story where Jesus is brought back to life, but um, to talk about uh, how to bring the story to life. I mean, if you watch a good historical movie, whether it's a war movie, a Western, or, or even like uh, the TV series that many of you have discovered on Netflix and other things, The Chosen or when A story, uh, when a movie develops a character, and all of a sudden you understand what motivates them, what drives them, all of a sudden you begin to relate to them, and you like them. You actually care. This isn't just a historical event. It's like, hey, I understand these people. They're not that much different than me. Well, we're going to take different installments in this series and try to do the same thing by getting some historical background, some information you may never have learned before, Uh, We may, hopefully, together, we'll discover, hey, these were people, real people. And if I'd have been there, this would have taken on a whole new significance to me. And that's why we called it Brought to Life. Hopefully, if you're with us each week, today we're going to look at the people, the religious leaders of the day who wanted Jesus dead and were filled with so much hatred toward him that when he was hanging on the cross, the Bible tells us they were wagging their heads at him, going, ah! I mean, that's one thing if you make fun of somebody when you're a kid. But if you hate someone so much that you want them nailed to a cross, and while they're there, you're going, ah. What drives that? I mean, what is that? So today, we're going to try to bring that to life. But I want to give you fair warning. If you sit there and think, well, they're just crazy, that's all. When you discover some of the motivations, some of the things that they were thinking, uh, just prepare to be shocked. Some of those thoughts we can see all around us today, too, and we've embraced some of those thoughts at times in our lives. Let me have a word of prayer for us, and we'll jump in. Lord, I don't want us to miss the Easter season when Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. Rose again, proved he was stronger than sins, proved he was stronger than death, stronger than the grave, Lord, I just don't want to miss the significance of the event, and I don't want us to write off the story, well, these were some people who lived a long time ago. They were crazy people, odd people. I don't even understand any of these things. So, Lord, today I just pray that you'll speak and move me out of the way, and you'll help us understand, well, what drove these people? What were they thinking? And how do I avoid thinking like they thought? So, Lord, please speak and encourage us and remind us why you came in this world, to save sinful people like us. We pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I'm going to start off with three important definitions. There was, if you read the Easter story in the Bible and hear the story as we go through this, uh, each week we'll take different segments. We'll talk about the disciples. We'll talk about the Romans who were occupying Israel at that time. We'll talk about... Uh, the thieves who were hanging with Jesus on the cross, who were crucified with him, as well as a man named Barabbas. We're going to give you some backstory on, well, what were these people like? I mean, what was going on? And so as we do that, today I want to start with, there was a judicial council that was the ruling council. This is, they're known as the Sanhedrin. This is the first definition. The Sanhedrin, it was a 70-member high court. High Council, Supreme Court, whatever you want to put in there, of Israel at the time. And it was made up of two groups, Sadducees and Pharisees. Um, From the days of Moses, there had been 70 people, 70 leaders appointed to lead the nation. And at the time when Jesus was crucified, um, and before he was crucified, he was put on trial before this group, this group of 70 leaders, known as the Sanhedrin or the High Council. The two groups were the Sadducees and the Pharisees. So the first the next blank in your outline would be Sadducees and it's S A D D there's two D's okay anyway um, but the whole idea behind that this was uh, these were powerful they were a powerful religious political group composed of wealthy aristocrats and strangely enough they were almost all priests I mean many of the almost all the excuse me it's more than priests but almost all the priests were a part of this uh, this party And they held the majority of the seats in that Sanhedrin, that council. And although they controlled the temple in Jerusalem, they seemed to have been more concerned with maintaining wealth and political power than their religious views. They worked hard um, to maintain their wealth and their status. The Romans were occupying Israel at the time. And this was the group that said, hey, we'll make deals with the Romans. And so if they come in and say, hey, you need to collect these certain amount of taxes, we'll say, all right, but allow us to keep our power. These were the people who uh, were in charge of the exchange rates at the temple when Jesus turned over the money tables, the money changers. Well, the Sadducees were the people who'd worked out the deal with the money changers for a cut. They had a sweet deal going. And we don't hear much about them in the Bible because they weren't really concerned with Jesus until Jesus became so popular that it started to threaten the status quo. I mean, when all of a sudden he became a nuisance, it's like, hey, wait a minute, you let this guy get powerful enough, he's gonna mess with our deal. We've got to deal with the Romans. They leave us alone, we leave them alone, we stay in power. And the reason this was important to them, they only accepted the first five books of the Bible as Holy Scripture. They didn't believe in heaven or hell or angels or demons or life after death or God's involvement in the affairs of everyday life. They were they believed that they were Jewish people and they had their ancestry. Uh, Were the people that came out of slavery in Egypt and they accepted all that, but now it was pretty much up to them and they made their own life and they made their own way. Now, so that was one party. The other party were the Pharisees. The Pharisees were mainly concerned about religion and they were people who were middle class, they were middle class businessmen and they were leaders in the synagogues. There was the temple in Jerusalem and then there were community centers all over Israel where people would gather. It would be like a local church and a temple in Jerusalem. And so people came to the temple three times a year, but they would then gather weekly at their local synagogue on the Sabbath day. And so they'd have Sabbath school, like Sunday school, and they would have times to get together. This would be their communities. And so the head of those little synagogues and the people who taught there, those would have been the Pharisees. And they became very powerful because they were really popular with the people. They, uh, they didn't have as many seats in the uh, Sanhedrin as uh, the Sadducees did, but people really liked them because they were the ones they talked to all the time. And they accepted the entire Old Testament as Holy Scripture. They believed in heaven and hell and life after death and angels and demons and all these things. And so when Jesus was teaching, we find in um, debate, they want to debate Jesus a lot because in addition to all those things, they also had traditions, and they found 600 rules that needed to be kept in the Old Testament, and they worked out schemes to keep all of them all the time. And so they were the rule keepers, and they were extremely strict. So the word Pharisee means separatist. I mean, somebody wants to say separate from the world. They hated the Romans. Because the Romans were occupying God's land. They had no use for Gentiles, non-Jews. Okay, and so they didn't even walk into a Roman's house. They didn't even walk into a Gentile person's house. They had nothing to do with them. And so when Jesus came into the world talking about, hey, that God originally placed his people where he did to be a light to the Gentiles and a light to the whole world. And people should be kind and forgiving and merciful. They wanted none of that. And so they got into all kinds of debates with Jesus because Jesus didn't keep enough rules and Jesus was too kind to people. And what's interesting is because they had completely different uh, views on the Bible and on life after death and all these things, they didn't get along at all uh, with each other. So in order to embrace the story at the cross, you have to believe you're living in a land where there would be a two-party system where the parties didn't like each other and didn't talk to each other. I know this is gonna be hard for you, but you're gonna have to imagine it. (laughs) That's what was going on. The most hyper-conservative and the most hyper-liberal you can imagine. And the only thing they agree on is Jesus has got to go because he's messing up our deal. And that's what you're going to see here today. So let's start with the Sadducees. The Sadducees wanted Jesus dead because they feared he would upset the status quo. They had worked hard to negotiate a deal with Rome. Rome was occupying them. I mean we got to make a deal here. This is how we're going to keep our income. It's how we're going to keep our position. So we'll go, you know, we get along to get along. So we find this in John 11. Jesus has just healed. He just raised Lazarus. He didn't heal him. He raised him from the dead. Lazarus had been in the tomb for a number of days. And he came out. There was obviously a resurrection here. And word about Jesus was spreading everywhere. I mean, this is unbelievable. And so now people are getting really concerned. As I said before, the Sadducees didn't care much about what Jesus taught. They weren't interested in Bible debates. They were just interested in power and prestige. And so here's what happens after Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. People are talking about this everywhere. And there's a special meeting now where the Sadducees even get the Pharisees together and say, hey, you're going to have to help us on this. We've got a problem here. So they met together, which they never did. But then the leading priests and the Pharisees called the whole high council together, the Sanhedrin, and they said, well, what are we going to do? They asked each other. Here They're talking about Jesus here. Listen to this. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone's going to believe in him. And then the Romans are going to come in. The Roman army will come. They'll destroy both our temple and our nation. And Caiaphas, who was the high priest at that time, said, Ah, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't realize it's better for you that one man should die for the people than the whole nation be destroyed. we got to rub him out. I mean, don't you understand? You let this Jesus guy go on, everybody's going to follow him. They won't be following us. Our livelihoods are at stake here. we got to kill him. And so the high priest wants to sanction murder. And if you keep reading there, John points out he was actually giving a prophecy because that's what Jesus came to do. One man would die for the people to pay the penalty for their sins. He didn't even realize how right he was. He was so filled with anger and contempt. Here's a life application right out of the box here. Following Jesus means becoming a servant. And this is the last thing the Sadducees wanted to do. Jesus went around teaching things like this. <laughs> the disciples one day, uh, James and John, their mother came to Jesus and said, hey, could, in heaven, could you make one of my sons the prime minister and the other secretary of state of heaven? Would that be too much to ask? And Jesus goes, yes, that's too much to ask, yes. You don't know what you're talking about. And um, Here's what the rest of the disciples heard that their mom had done this. And so um, they came up to, uh, so what happened was is that, Jesus they started arguing among themselves and here's what Jesus said You know the rulers of this world lorded over their people and the officials flaunt their authority under of those over those under them but among you it'll be different whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many Jesus came to serve He came to serve And the Sadducees didn't come to serve. The Sadducees came to rule. And were sitting pretty. This guy's got to go. Everybody's following him. Do you guys want to be servants? Not going. You don't understand anything. we got to kill him. Here's another life application. If you follow your outline a little more, following Jesus means surrendering everything everything. These guys weren't going to surrender anything. Surrender, we negotiate for more. We're trying to get a bigger cut of the pie. I mean, look, if there is no heaven, there is no hell, there's just this life and it's what you make of it, then you'll make whatever deal you need to make. If any of you wants to be my followers, Jesus said, then you must give up your own way. You must take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but, you, but are you yourself lost or destroyed? I mean, when Jesus said these things, it just angered them. I mean, he told them, no, God made you for a purpose, You're to love him with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're supposed to go his way, not your way. If you want to follow me, it means giving up your way. To come to Christ, to say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. Lord means boss. Lord means boss. Can we say that together, please? Lord means boss. You are my boss, Lord. What would you want me to do today? You're the one who gave me the strength in my hands. What do you want me to do with my hands? Lord, you're the one who gave me my wealth and my opportunity. Every dollar I have has been given to me. You've afforded me the opportunities. You've afforded me the strength. You've afforded me all kinds of blessings. And so, Lord, what would you have me do with it? I'm not going to take it with me when I die. And Jesus said, that's the way you need to think of things. So would anybody still embrace the thinking that the Sadducees had? Oh yeah. My wife and I were talking about this yesterday and we were talking about, she remembered um, a story that I had forgotten about where um, uh, a man came over to my house uh, when we had first gotten into ministry. I'd left an engineering job to go into ministry and he came to my house and he said, you know, I'm thinking about going into ministry and what's that like? And I said, well, why'd you do it? And I said, well, I just really had been working at this job and I had ministry opportunities come open and I prayed to the Lord and I said, Lord, you saved me from my sins. I'll just go wherever you want me to go. What do you want me to do? And he made it clear through a whole, to some good counsel and a set of circumstance and other things that this is where he was leading me into full-time ministry. He doesn't do that for everybody. He was leading me. And I said, has he done that for you? And the guy walked through something, oh yeah, he's doing this. And I go, okay, well, what's holding you back? And he said, my wife just won't disagree. I mean, she disagrees with this completely. And she said, look, I'm glad that you love the Lord, but you're going to have to find a way to do this because this is the income level that we need and you're not going to have that in ministry and this is where we need to be and this is how we need to live. No. I mean, we can follow Jesus, but not if it's going to impact our standard of living. You don't know anything. If we allow him to go on like this soon, everybody's going to believe in him. This is going to ruin our standard of living. Hey, this Jesus stuff's fine, but not if it's going to cost us money. Not if it's going to mess with our opportunities. Remember I told you to start listening to what these people actually thought, that this might hit a little close to home? Those are thoughts we can think today. Oh, and by the way, they only believe the first five books of the Bible. They didn't believe the rest of it. Because that was pretty safe to them, mainly history. And we can do that too. We can say, well, I'm just going to believe this part of the Bible, and the rest of it, I don't know. I don't really follow that. That way I can do pretty much what I want. It's dangerous thinking. So that's the Sadducees. Here are the Pharisees. Point C the Pharisees wanted Jesus dead. Because he exposed them as self-righteous hypocrites who knew how to keep religious rules but didn't know God. I mean, these are some of the things that Jesus said to them. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. And he's quoting the Old Testament prophet Isaiah here. For he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. They had all those 600 rules, and they had everything laid out, and they said, in order for you to get to heaven, you have to keep these rules. And whoever keeps the rules the best gets the best seat of honor in heaven. And by the way, we're the best. This is the way they lived. You weren't saved by grace. You were you got into heaven the old-fashioned way, you earned it. And so, over time, they would tell people, hey, if you keep these rules, it'll make you separate. If you keep all this, it'll separate you from sin. But what happened was, instead of keeping the rules or keeping away from sin in order to be right with God, their whole fascination became with the rule structure they'd set up. So you have these amazing stories, like there was a a group within the Pharisees called the bleeding Pharisees or the bleeding and bruised Pharisees, because they believed it was wrong to lust after a beautiful woman. So every time they'd meet a beautiful woman in public, they would just close their eyes and keep walking. And if they were going downstairs, well, then that was a bad choice. If you were crossing a street, it was a bad choice. But then they would appear in public and they'd have bruises and they'd be bleeding and everybody would go, oh, look how separate they are. Look how amazing they are. And they would show off the scars. Yeah, that's that redhead over on Fifth and Elm when I was crossing the street. Yeah, I was on the roof of my house fixing my roof and that blonde next door, that's where this came from. There were other people, they would have all these rules on the Sabbath day. You were supposed to stay in your home and not travel and other things. So they made rules on how many steps you could take every Sabbath and they would count. And you could go no further because you had to stay in your house. But then the Pharisees themselves found loopholes in this. They would go and set up little huts at different places, wherever they wanted to go. And they'd put some bread and wine and a couple of personal objects in there. And they would build this little hut. And that was their house. And they'd go, well, that's an extension of my house. So really, I'm just going to my house. Oh. These were people who are experts in finding loopholes in the tax code. They looked at the Bible the way you and I would look at the tax code. I mean, Right now, if you come to my house, we've been getting all our papers ready to take to our accountant for our taxes and stuff. If you look through the tax code and try to figure that out, and if you understand that, then I'm impressed with you. But they had all these rules, and it was the same thing, and they were constantly looking for loopholes. And that's why Jesus said this, what sorrow awaits you teachers of the religious law. And you Pharisees, you hypocrites, you're careful to tithe even to the tiniest, in, tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law like justice and mercy and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. You blind guides, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a nap, but you swallow a camel. Amen. And so what happens is like in Luke 13, this is not in your outline, this is a story when Jesus was, Um, traveling one day, on a Sabbath day, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, one of those community centers, and a woman was there who'd been crippled by a spirit for 18 years, and she was bent over, and she couldn't straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her forward, and he said to her, Woman, you're set free from your infirmity. And then he put his hands on her, and immediately she stood up for the first time in 18 years. And the whole place went, Oh, a great miracle has happened here. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day. A Sabbath day was a day you did no work. And technically, if you do a miracle, that's kind of like medicine. So he's practicing medicine on the Sabbath. And they didn't have that loophole for them. So Jesus couldn't use it. Indignant because he'd healed on the Sabbath. The synagogue ruler said to the people, there's six days for work. So come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. No medicine practicing. No miracle practicing. And the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day uh, from what bound her? And when he said this, all the opponents, all of his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with the wonderful things he was doing. He called them out, and the people went, yeah! Yeah! And the Pharisees go, he's got to die. These were the people who'd been priding themselves in rule keeping. They knew all 613 laws. They had ordered them. They would have endless debates over what order the laws should be kept in and who was best at it. And Jesus said, I don't even understand your game. This isn't the tax code. This is a book of life. I mean, tie it down to the last tea leaf, but you neglect all the more important things like love and justice and mercy. What's the matter with you? And he got stronger. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law, you Pharisees? This is Matthew 23. You hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs. Oh, you're beautiful on the outside, but you're filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. What's really fascinating is, after one of those occasions, the disciples grabbed him and said, Jesus, do you know that the Pharisees are offended when you say that? (laughs) Jesus goes, yeah, I think when I told them they were whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones, yes, I, I think they were offended. So here's the life application. Following Jesus means accepting salvation by grace and sharing his amazing love and grace with others. I mean, you understand... Jesus messed up their whole model. He would go and show grace and mercy to people because I mean, we're all sinners. But they put themselves in a whole separate category. They were the best at keeping rules. I go to church more than you do. I mean, if you're going to make it modern day, I go to church more than you do. I put more in the offering plate than you do. I haven't done this or that or this. You're a bad person. I'm a good person. And Jesus said, you all need saving. I want to show you grace and mercy. But the Pharisees were self-righteous, and Jesus came to say, no, the only way you're going to be made righteous is if I give you my grace, my undeserved kindness. This is what Paul wrote about it. God saved you by his grace when you first believed, when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. Can we read the part of the passage on the screen there? Can we read that together, please? <laughs> Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. It's a wicked thing when I pretend that I'm much more righteous than you are. It is. If I'm not struggling with the sin you struggle with, my heart should be filled with compassion. So, let me, so I should be able to go, can I pray for you? Can I help you? And that's why Jesus came. In fact, Jesus angered the Pharisees so much, even choosing his disciples, because there were certain people, they said, look, if you've got to earn your way to heaven, these people have committed so much sin, whether it's a prostitute or a tax collector who worked for the Romans, whom they despised, who were evil tyrants, and all these things. If you've done these things, you've committed so many evil things that even if you were to stop right now and start doing all the things we want, you'd never catch up. You'll never make it. You're hopeless. Write them off. And Jesus went and chose some of those people to be his disciples. Matthew, the guy who wrote the book of Matthew, he was a tax collector. He called Matthew to come follow him. And here's what it says in Matthew 9. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? And when Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And then he added, now go learn the meaning of the scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call those who think, I have not come to call those who think they're righteous, but those who know that they're sinners. That's why we come to Christ. Not only do we say, Lord, you're my boss, Lord, you're my savior. You are my savior and Lord. I cannot earn my way into heaven, and neither can you. And self righteousness would be writing other people off, not even listening to them. You don't do things right. I mean, that's, you don't think right. I'm not talking to you. I mean, that's half of what we find on social media these days. Here's another life application. Following Jesus means coming to him honestly with no pretense or pride. I mean, if we're sinners saved by grace, we can't walk into Jesus' presence and go, hey, Lord, I need a favor today, and by the way, I deserve it. Lord, I've been good all week, so shower the blessings. Let's go. That's not going to happen. Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness, and they scorned everyone else. Two men went into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. Oh, I thank you, God, I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I'm a sinner. I tell you, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God, those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. We never walk into God's presence going, God, go smite those people over there because they don't deserve your love. Me, come on. Mm -mm. That's why Jesus says you need to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Your father loves everyone Our perspective is, they're messed up. I'm good. Jesus' perspective is, we're all messed up. It's just a matter of degree. I told you. Some of the things they thought hit pretty close to home. Last point. The Sadducees and the Pharisees couldn't stand each other, but they were willing to work together to crucify Jesus because both groups hated him so much. When they would debate Jesus publicly, Jesus always put them in their place and they couldn't stand it. The people who were the rulers of the people didn't want Jesus to be ruler over them. And so even though the son of God was standing in front of them, raising people from the dead, blind people were seeing, lame people were walking, he was teaching the Bible with authority and power. And it was obviously true what he was saying. And the ordinary people loved it because finally it was making sense. These people couldn't stand it, they had to shut him up permanently. We gotta kill him. And now, this is where we started, Matthew 27. They got Jesus nailed to the cross, and while he's hanging on the cross, here's what happened. After they nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice, and the, the people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery, Look at you now, they yelled at him. And the leading priests and the teachers of religious law and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So he's king of Israel, is he? We'll let him come down from the cross right now and then we'll believe in him. He trusted God, so let God rescue him now if he wants, if he wants him. For he said, I'm the son of God, and they mocked him. who's in charge now Jesus we are we're the ones who made the deal with the Romans not you you think you're a great teacher of the Bible we are we're the ones who keep the rules don't you come in here and tell us how to run this show don't you come into my life and tell me what I need to surrender no way I'm in charge Oh, that's uncomfortable. Yeah. By the way, and I'm just going to pray for us here. I'm out of time here, but the last life application is following Jesus. I want you to put your name in there. If you and I follow him, we're going to face the same rejection and hatred he did. I mean, Jesus said so. But have I come to the end of the rope yet? And have I realized I'm a sinner that needs Jesus? The whole world is filled with sinners that need Jesus. Our only hope is Jesus. Not self-righteousness, but undeserved kindness to give us righteousness. We're never going to earn this our own. I'm not here to fit in. I'm not here to get along, to get along. I don't need to make deals. I need to trust Jesus. He is my boss. He is my Savior. Savior and Lord. Will you pray with me, please? Gracious God, we just come before you this morning heading into Easter. And I just don't want us to miss the story. These aren't weird, strange people who have nothing in common with us. Lord, a lot of those thoughts we think the same way. And so, gracious God, this morning we come before you and we ask that you would wake us up. God, forgive us for times when we have been self righteous and demanding that you strike others down and look out for us. We're the good people. We have no compassion for people at all who are struggling with sins just because we don't struggle with their sin. Oh, God, forgive us. And God, forgive us for times when we compromise with the culture and we say, well, yeah, I know the Bible says that, but I don't, I'm not going to believe that part. I want this. And we don't trust you to provide, we don't trust you to guide us, we don't trust that you have our best interests in mind. We go our own way and we suffer terrible calamity. God forgive us. And God forgive us for not caring about lost people who are far from you. So worried about ourselves all the time and our particular deal and protecting ourselves, just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We're not even praying for lost people. People live next door to us, work in the same building. We don't even know their name because we don't care. God, would you break our heart for the world? That's why Jesus came into the world, to save lost sinners like me. God, don't let us pass through Easter season without getting this. If the Lord spoke to you about an attitude in your heart today, let him hear you right now, just silently where you are. Just say, Lord, I heard what you said. Please do Please change my heart. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.